Hey, thanks so much for checking out Crossview Church Sermons and listening to this podcast. Every week you can expect a message that strengthens your faith and encourages you in your walk with God. You're about to hear a message from our lead pastor, Chris Dirksen. Today in two weeks, a little two-part mini-series, I want to talk about 1 Timothy chapter 2 and misconceptions about this passage, should women be silent and submissive? Okay? <laughs> and the answer is yes. Let's pray and you may go. <laughs> Just kidding. I'm going to start with a verse here in 1 Timothy 2. And it's more than just these two verses, okay? There's a whole section, to, and that's why i got to do it in, in, in two different ones. But this has got to be one of the most misused, abused, misappropriated passages in the entire Scripture. And in it, Paul says this, a woman should learn in quietness and full submission. Like, I cringe to even read it out loud, okay? But it's in our Bible, I do not permit, and again, even just that, some of you women are going, you don't permit? A woman to teach or to assume authority over a man, she must be quiet. This has got to be one of the most galling, disturbing, irritating passages in the entire Bible. And there are millions of non-Christians out there who already think that the Bible is a sexist and misogynist book and verses like these only give them what they think is proof that the Bible is a sexist, misogynist book. Worse than what the non-Christians think, though, is that many Christians even preach this verse in ways that are sexist and that put women down. And I have personally, over 20 years of ministry, met with multiple different women different places, different circumstances, who have been counseled by well-meaning Christians based on verses like these that they should go back into abusive relationships and just submit. So there's some definite problems. This is a misconception uh, passage that is begging for us to unmisconception it. Okay? What do we do with this passage? Do we ignore it? That's the way one, there's a whole group of Christians that just ignore passages like this. They say, oh yeah, we read the Bible, we do everything it says. You pull up a verse like this and they go, well, let's go to the next one. We can take it in its most simple, literal form, and some Christians do that. Women are not allowed to teach. Women are not allowed to lead, uh, either in the home or in the church. I thought I would just do a quick survey here. How many of you women... Learn from your husbands in quietness and submission. <laughs> that single hand. What an ungodly church we have. You know what the funny thing is? I don't even want this. I don't know about the rest of you husbands. Some of you may actually want this from your wives. I married my wife, LaDawn, who will be here in the 6 p.m. service, specifically because she isn't like this. The things that attracted me to her are she is smart, and she argues with me, which drives me nuts in the moment. But ultimately, it's what I love about her. She's not a pushover. She's strong. She's intelligent. She's funny. All things that you do would not think would, could fit with what Paul is saying in this passage here. So something has to give here. Are we going to ignore it? Are we going to just obey it in its most simple literal form? 
Or can we do some work here and perhaps something more is going on? Perhaps something more, as we look at in all these misconception uh, messages, perhaps something more is going on. Now, before we get into the background of this passage, we're actually going to hit two misconceptions today. So the first misconception we're going to hit before we even dive into 1 Timothy chapter 2 is a setup that we need to look at first, and that is this first misconception in this sermon is that the simplest reading of Scripture is the right reading. A lot of Christians have this idea, a lot of evangelical modern Christians. By the way, it's, a, it's actually a, a very new thing. You, one of the, you know what one of the biggest mistakes that we modern evangelical Christians make? Is that we assume that whatever we think about the Bible is what Christians have always thought about the Bible. And in fact, we are part of a very small minority in terms of church history. And I'll tell you why we're part of a small minority. We are part of a small minority of of Christians in 2,000 years who each had their own Bible and could read. See, for the first, I mean, up to the printing press, nobody had. So when, when is that? The 1500s, the 1600s? Up to the 1500s, 1600s, nobody had a Bible, okay? There were scrolls, okay, that were kept in churches, and people would pull them out and read them. Even after the printing press in the 1500s and 1600s, it's not until the late 1800s or 1900s that Bibles come to be in Western society, come to be commonly used. And it's really only in the last 50 years or so when every individual in a home would have their own Bible. Okay? And so we, now we have this idea because we each have our own Bible. We just assume that's the way it's always been. When God created the earth, bang, he dropped Bibles into everybody's hands. We're just, just scratching the surface in terms of time, in terms of how long human beings have been on the earth since God created us. The amount of time that printed Bibles have been in our hands is just a tiny bit of that. But having Bibles has given us this, us this idea, well, God just gave us all Bibles. We were born. We are born. God drops a Bible in our lap. Therefore, he must have meant for it to be easy to read and understand. And that's a misconception. And we're going to touch more on that in part two as well. But you've probably heard this. And by the way, if you've heard any of these, I'm never mad at people. These are things that we as evangelicals commonly say. But you've probably heard this saying. The Bible says it, I believe it, and that settles it. The Bible, this is part of this whole, Scripture is easy. God just dropped Bibles in our laps at the, on the day of creation. The Bible says it, I believe it, and that settles it. And anytime I hear this phrase, I love to take people to different verses and say, do you do it? So first of all, 1 Timothy 2 would be the one. The Bible says it, women, go home and be quiet and submissive. The Bible says it, I believe it, that settles it. Is this actually true in reality? <laughs> Someone made a comment back there. Most Christians throughout history have not thought this way, but I just want to show you, by the way, there are so many passages where the very people, when we say this, and I say us, I've said things like this in my past too, there's so many passages we just glaze over that this doesn't work. Let me just take you through just a few. And we could spend hours going through all the passages that don't fit this. Should women wear a hat whenever they pray? 
Because Paul argues at length, over 16 verses in 1 Corinthians 11, go and read it sometime. He argues at length, he ties it to creation. He says, didn't God create Adam and Eve this way? He argues at length that women should wear a hat whenever they pray. Well, the Bible says it, I believe it, that settles it. And yet almost no women I know wear hats when they pray. He also says men shouldn't have long hair. Now most of us in Steinbeck follow that one, but occasionally we have some sinners. Well, the Bible says it, that I believe it, and that settles it. Well, what about this one? Another place in 1 Corinthians, Paul goes over a whole chapter. By the way, I, I dare you to go on home and read some of these chapters. We're not just talking an odd verse here or there. And he says, clearly, it is better to be single than married. Now, lots of people have actually experienced that, unfortunately. Some of you are thinking, what did he mean by that? As my brother-in-law once said, it's better to wish you were married than to wish you were single, right? But 1 Corinthians 7, Paul takes a chapter to argue over and over and over again that it is better to be single than married. How many churches actually preach that? How many Christians actually believe that? We've actually created whole ministries and books and all kinds of stuff that basically have the opposite thing. Now, by the way, I'm not saying we're wrong in that. But what I am saying is we say, the Bible says that I believe and that settles it. Do we actually believe it's better to be single than to be married? Because that's what the Bible actually says. What about this one? By the way, I didn't just quote one place. I think I quoted what? One, two, three, four, five. Just in the New Testament. We won't even go to the Old Testament. Five times in the New Testament, it clearly says, slaves should submit to their masters. How many of you, if you came across an actual slave here in Canada somewhere or whatever, would you say to them, you just need to go back and happily submit to your master? I hope you wouldn't do that. I hope you would call the police or help them to escape. How many of you would just tell them submit to their masters? But that's what the Bible actually says. Do you want me to continue? <laughs> well, just quickly. This is a little bit of intro part. We'll get to Mark 16 is one of my favorite passages of Scripture because it tells us what all of us should experience as believers. And these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name, they will drive out demons. They will speak in new tongues. Okay, we've heard that before, even if a lot of us don't maybe do it. They will pick up snakes with their hands, and when they drink deadly poison, it will not hurt them at all. They will place their hands on sick people, and they will get well. How many of you have ever read this in your devotions? Yeah, so a couple of you. The rest of you don't want to raise your hand because you don't know what you're getting sucked into. Well, do you believe? Because the Bible says it, I believe it, and that settles it. The Bible says it, I believe it, that settles it. And this is the signs of those who will come to them who will believe. How many of you pick up poisonous snakes or drink deadly poison? Because do you know there are churches, mostly in the southern states, there are churches that do this. Okay? And they actually pick up poisonous snakes, and they drink strychnine, and some of them get very sick. Okay? And some have even died. But they don't do it because they just made it up out of their heads. They do it because that's what the Bible actually says. And we could go on and on. And I'll just throw up one last little bunch there. Should we baptize on behalf of the dead? Paul says he did in 1 Corinthians 15, 29. Do we all obey the government? Let's just keep moving. 
Does God choose some people to be saved and others not? That's Romans 9 to 11. And we could go on and on and on and on and on. The fact of the matter is, we sometimes have these little simplistic sayings. The simplest reading must be the right one. The Bible says that I believe it and that settles it. And the fact of the matter is, you actually can't consistently live that out. Nobody does. Why? Because the Bible is ancient and complex. God obviously didn't want to give us a simple book. If he had wanted to give us a simple book, he wouldn't have given us this. He obviously thinks giving us an ancient and complex book is better than giving us a simple book. But it means that we have to read it differently. It means we're going to need wisdom to read it. It means we're going to need community. We're going to need people. We're going to need to read this together and talk about it. We're going to need scholars to help us understand it. We're going to need pastors. We're going to need each other. We're going to need discussions with wise people. We're going to need wisdom. We're going to need community. We're going to need scholarship. We're going to need all of those things. And something about that makes God happy. I actually think, and I'll touch on this a little bit more in part two, because I want to move back to 1 Timothy 2 now. But I actually think that our individualistic culture, which we Christians always complain about. There isn't a Christian here who hasn't heard a message at some point. If you've been a Christian for longer than a year, at some point you've heard a pastor preach to you about how bad the individualistic culture of our West is. And the very same ones of us who get mad at the individualistic culture actually live it when it comes to our Bibles because we expect to just be able to pick it up on our own, read it, and understand it all. But did you know that every letter that was written in the New Testament was written to people who 9 out of 10 of them couldn't read, and they sat in a group, and it was read to them all together? Why? Because we need each other. doesn't mean we shouldn't read it on our own, but we will touch on that in part two. I think we should read it on our own, but we actually need community. See, it's not something you just figure on your own. Anyway, back to 1 Timothy Don't be bullied by, by, by the simplicity or, um, argument that some Christians will bring. They'll just show you the verse. Look, this is what women are supposed to do. They can't be leaders. They can't teach all that sort of stuff. It's clear in Scripture. Here, it just says it here. The fact of the matter is there's lots of verses those same people won't take the simple meaning of. So we have to get at the context. So what is the context of the first century church and society that Paul is writing this letter into. And so let's talk a little bit about the Roman society and women in particular. Context of 1 Timothy 2. Roman society was very patriarchal. So for those of you who don't know what that means, it means it was very male-dominated. Men had the power. Men were in charge. Women were supposed to stay home and run the household. Okay, That was a very deeply ingrained Roman cultural thing. Women were expected to. By the way, you want to know the top traits. So when I think of why did I marry my wife, LaDawn, I think of things like strong, intelligent, you know, all these sorts of things, capable, hardworking. The Romans had virtues they, they wrote about all the time. And you want to know the top, none of them were any of those. None of them. It said the opposite of independent they were not looking for independent women. They were not looking for intelligent women. Okay? They loved their women chaste, which just means, that's just an old-fashioned word for 
uh, they didn't sleep with other men. The men could sleep with other women, but the, but the women couldn't sleep with other men. Frugal, okay, the Mennonites here are like, oh yeah, okay, that's a good one. <laughs> Nothing wrong with that, and that's true, but this was a big, the Romans wrote about this all the time. I'll get to that in just a moment. Modest, we'll get to what that means, does not mean in terms of, of you know, they don't wear a string bikini or a two-piece or something. It, it has more to do, well, we'll get into that in just a moment. It can include that. And prudent, but modest, frugal, take care of the home. This is what the Romans valued in a, in a wife. You want to know why? Because the most important thing for a Roman man was honor. It was all about honor. And if your wife had these traits, she was not going to embarrass you. She was not going to bring shame to you. Therefore, these are the best traits because the man wants honor. And a woman with these traits is not going to sully the man's honor. Now, the thing is, they actually passed laws about these things. You know that? So, for example, we're going to go back to modesty here for just a moment, which was a huge thing that the Romans valued in their women. What they meant was they did not want their women showing off fancy haircuts, fancy jewelry, fancy clothes. Not cool. We want our women frugal, modest, prudent, and chaste. They actually passed laws so at various times in the Roman Empire, it would change, but they had laws like how much gold jewelry could a woman wear? Half an ounce, you know, was what it was uh, at some points. No tunics with multiple colors. We want one color, maybe something around the hem, okay? By the way, women, men were not allowed to wear silk. That was not considered manly, okay? They actually had laws about this. Now, I want to ask you something, first of all, for just one second here. When we look at this and, and these kinds of things, does this remind you of anything, by the way? Yeah, some of you, it reminds you of your upbringing. I'm serious. I'm not even joking. This is 1940s and 50s American culture, secularly, and lots of Christian culture still today. By the way, there's nothing wrong with those of you women who have stayed home or are at home right now taking care of kids, there's nothing wrong with choosing to do those things. Those are wonderful things for a woman to do. Amazing. If she really wants to. But what the Romans did is they said, everybody has to do this. Guess what? Lots of Christians have taken something and they've said, this is actually how God says it must be. And it's actually not based on scripture. It's actually based more on Roman culture than it is on scriptural values, okay? Now, here's the thing. Anytime we make a statement about a big society like Roman society, we have to recognize that even within our own culture, call our culture something, individualistic, materialistic something. The fact of the matter is you can always find exceptions because within every culture, human cultures are far too complex for you just to make one statement and say that's how everybody is. Every human culture has within it certain counter-cultural movements. That's how us human beings work. So guess what? They wouldn't have called it this at that time. But within Roman society in New Testament times, there was actually an ancient feminist counter-culture movement at work. There was various different ones. Okay? This is really important. We're going to come back to this passage. Because by the way, after I set this up, I just need a couple more minutes to, to set this up. When we go back and read 1 Timothy 2, it's just going to come 3D. It's just going to be popped. Okay? 
So there's an ancient feminist movement within Rome, okay? So within this patriarchal, conservative, traditional society, a lot of, and this happened over and over again throughout different centuries, not just once, but you had a number of wealthy women and women of status would push for more freedoms, push for more of a say, push to change the dress code, okay? This kind of stuff. In fact, one time, one of the emperors... He made the mistake, he passed a law restricting the amount of, of jewelry and ornamentation that women could wear. And the women in the city of Rome actually protested, the wealthy women. They blocked all the entrances to the forum, okay, so that the, the senators couldn't get in there. And they were literally protesting. One of the key magistrates of the Roman Empire, this actually is not, lo- this is not long before the time of Jesus. And Cato said this, if they are victorious now, because the women wanted them to give in, and he writes, this is one of the magistrates of the Roman city, he says, if they're victorious now, what will they not attempt? you got to watch out for that feminine agenda. <laughs> Those women have an agenda. As soon as they begin to be your equals, they will have become your superiors. He just seems a little insecure, doesn't he? If we let the women up to the same level as us, They'll be our superiors before you know it. And it's actually probably true. Because a lot of them are smarter than we are. This kind of stuff was happening in the Roman Empire. In the first century, one of the main ways it was working its way out was that they, they wanted to change the way they dressed. See, the Romans were very particular. Once you were a married woman, if you were a single woman, you were not allowed to wear this garment. It was called a stola. So if... The woman was not wearing a stola. That meant she was unmarried. Once she was married, you were allowed to wear a stola. Actually, you were only supposed to wear a stola, okay? And it covered your whole body. And if you didn't wear a stola, that was considered to be like you were a prostitute, okay? You were a woman of ill repute. I love putting those two words together. Just go home and say it. A woman of ill repute. And it's just such a cool thing to say. But anyway, so in the first century... A lot of the wealthy women and the women of status were pushing back on the stola. And you can't tell me what to dress. And they were putting, they were getting fancy hairstyles and lots of jewelry and expensive clothing. And guess what? This was very controversial and and divisive in the society. Like we have controversial and divisive issues now. This, how women dressed, was super divisive. And lots of people were scared because Roman society was patriarchal and traditional and conservative. And what will happen if these women get out of control? By the way, does any of this sound familiar? Maybe not about the women in the stola. But remember what Ecclesiastes said? There's nothing new under the sun. Guess what? There's nothing new under the sun. Every generation of human beings in every society has a bunch of people in it that complain every generation and say, what will happen if group X gets out of control? We all do it because we're all human and we humans haven't changed in thousands of years. So you have this controversy and you have people in Roman society who are worried about the women, they're worried about the feminine agenda, they're worried about their dress, and they, these women have bad repute. Okay, now... Part two, we're going to get into some other things that are going on at the same time. But now I want to read you. Let's go back to 1 Timothy 2. And watch this thing just start to pop. 1 Timothy 2. I started with verse 10 before, which is the part where he talks about being silent. Okay? 
uh, or verse 11. Let's start in just the verses right before. I also want the women to dress modestly. Now again, I want you to remember here, we read these passages 2,000 years later, and for us, modesty has to do with the amount of skin that's showing, okay? Which isn't bad. You know, we don't, whether it be guys or girls, let's not be walking around practically naked. Okay, good. But that's not what Paul is talking about here. And he goes on to explain it. With decency and propriety, adorning themselves not with elaborate hairstyles. The Greek there actually means braided hair. By the way, if you just want to read this simply and literally, like the Bible says it, I believe it, that settles it. If you braid your hair, you are disobeying Paul. Not with braided hairstyles, fancy hairstyles, perms, and all that sort of stuff, or gold, or pearls. Are any of you wearing pearls here tonight, women? Because you're actually disobeying what these, this verse literally says. Or expensive clothes. Now that one is so lovely because we can interpret that however we want. 250 bucks isn't expensive. But with good deeds appropriate for women who profess to worship God. Why on earth, okay? Why on earth would Paul be talking about this? Why does he care, okay? Why does he care how women dress? Is this rooted in creation, that from creation, God made men and women, and he said, you better not wear gold and pearls. And Eve, you better pass on to your daughters if you ever braid your hair or get a fancy haircut. Bad. Does God care that much about hairstyles and jewelry? And the answer is no. This has to do with what's going on in the culture. I'm going to skip by that just briefly. This has to do with the reputation of the church. See, you've got this feminist movement happening in the first century. And you've got women flaunting, you know, fancy hair and jewels because, not because, I mean, we do it. We do it more than they were doing it. But they're flaunting this stuff. Why? Because they're not supposed to. They're trying to get their freedom, all sorts of stuff. Paul actually does not care ultimately about do you wear more than half an ounce of gold or do you braid your hair? He knows that because this is a divisive issue in that society, it's going to ruin the reputation of the church. If all the Christian women start braiding their hair and wearing jewelry, literally, the men of the city are just going to write Christianity off. They're going to say, these are loose people. These Christians are immoral. They are da 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 He didn't want the reputation of the church wrecked by a divisive issue that wasn't core to the gospel. That's why he cares. That's why he cares. In this society, this, is, this was a divisive issue. We need to tone it down or we're going to have no witness. So, the moment you realize this, by the way, this passage just comes alive. And we're going to get back to next sermon. We'll actually get into the quietness. Like, why is he talking about the quietness and submission? But I just want to talk, just what we've looked at here. I just want to look at two applications. Two thoughts from 1 Timothy 2. See, when you take the Bible, when you take the context out of the Bible, and you just kind of read it flat for what it says to us in English, you actually miss the real point. 
What happens then is you read 1 Timothy 2 and you go, man, God cares about the style I wear? Like, do you realize, by the way, around the world, how many different styles there are? God doesn't want any of those different styles. Like you go to Africa, there's styles where the women wear hoops and all kinds of colorful, amazing stuff that would be in direct contradiction to the literal meaning of 1 Timothy 2. And you just go, God, and then you get into fights and it gets legalistic. I've seen this in churches. It gets legalistic. So what can I wear? What can I not wear? And you're talking about the jewelry instead of the real thing, which is, this is the question we should be asking ourselves after reading 1 Timothy 2. What are the culturally divisive issues of our day that the church needs to stop rocking the boat on for the sake of Christ's reputation? Now, that's a fun question to think about. And some of you are terrified that I'm going to open my mouth and start trying to answer personally, but I'm not even going to do that. It's not my... It's not even my role. This is what the church is meant to do together. You read 1 Timothy 2, and you go, I'm not getting distracted by jewelry. God cares about a lot more than jewelry. Where does the church need to give up on things for the sake of Christ's reputation? Paul says to the women, you know what? Whether you wear necklaces or not in Christ, by the way, I'm going to show you this in the next one. Whether you wear necklaces or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. That's what he would say. And he would also say, in Christ there is no... Jew or Gentile, male or female, slave or free. But here he says to the women, I want you to be careful about what you wear. Why? Because in this cultural situation, let's not rock the boat or we're going to lose our witness. So I wonder what those issues are for the church today. That's First Timothy 2. Here's something I think is really important for us to understand about wisdom in the Bible. There's two things, and most of us Christians only think about the first. Lots of us Christians know this. There are important issues on which the church should stand and be countercultural. Yes, that's true. Paul would say the same thing. There are certain things we don't compromise on. You know what most churches, though? This is all we preach. It's like the carpenter who goes to work, and all he has is a hammer. And he doesn't know that sometimes you need a screwdriver or a drill, or a saw. And I don't know much more than that because I'm not a carpenter. But if you only go to work with a hammer, you need a hammer for some things, but if all you have is a hammer, you're not going to be a good carpenter. And yet, a lot of Christians, all they look at our culture with is a hammer. Everything the culture says, I just got to stand against it. Actually, but, Paul would say 1 Timothy 2. There are also important issues where you can have preferences And you can have things that you personally believe and think and want to do. There are also important issues on which the church should stand down and go with the culture. And you know how I know we only ever talk about this one? Because even just the statement, going with the culture, feels like a sin. It's not a sin. Sin is sin. Okay? Don't murder. Don't go with the culture on that. Don't murder. Don't commit adultery. Don't go with the culture on that. Don't commit adultery. Sin is sin. There's lots of other things, though, where we uselessly ruin the reputation of Christ in the church. When Paul would say, go with the flow on some stuff, that's wisdom. Holy Spirit wisdom is knowing the difference between these two things. 
Now, some of you are thinking, but I can't figure that stuff out on my own. How do I know when I'm reading my Bible and my devotions, how do I know what the context is? Oh, I'm so glad you asked. You're going to have to come back for part two. Because I know some of you are asking that right now. You're going, I could never figure this out on my own. By the way, neither can I. I've got massive commentaries on my phone, so they're not massive anymore. But they're like 2,000 pages. And scholars have done tons of work. You say, well, then what's the point of reading my Bible? We will get to that in part two. But here's the second thought. We need more grace and humility in our reading of Scripture. We need more grace and humility in our reading of Scripture. Let me tell, some, tell you something that you will find. Wherever you find the thought, reading the Bible is simple. I just, I just read it. I believe it. That settles it. And I know that's not what we intend. But wherever that thought has really taken root, like not just a cute saying, it's, sure, it's not bad to say it, but wherever that thinking has really taken root, guess what always follows? Pride. You say, what? Yeah, let me explain. When you believe to the core of your being that just reading this and just applying whatever you see is easy and simple, pride is right around the corner. Here's why. It's just logic. Because when your base assumption is it's simple and straightforward, what you really mean is that whatever you read it to say is what must be the right thing then. Because it's simple. Guess what? Over 45,000 Christian denominations around the world and counting. Do you know how many different ways there are to read 1 Timothy 2? Or any other chapter in Scripture? There are a lot. When you are convinced that your way is the simple, right way, pride will shortly follow, even if you don't want it to. Because there's only two options then, and we all fall into this at times. By the way, we all fall into this. If this is simple and your reading of it is right, then you have to explain to yourself and to your kids, why do so many people disagree with me? And I'll tell you the two answers you'll come up with. Because I've done this. I've committed this sin. Way too often. Why do people, why aren't people Christians? Why do other Christians not get it? They're doing it wrong. Look, the Bible says right here. Now someone asks you, well, how did they get come up with that interpretation? I'll tell you how they came up with it. If it's simple, they must be stupid or they must be deceived. Oh, they're deceived. I'm not deceived. They're deceived. When you think everybody else is stupid and deceived, you know what you are? Proud. You want to know what the first step to humility is? First step, not just in this sermon, but in every part of life. First step to humility, realizing that on most subjects, there are smart, good people who disagree with us and have good reasons for doing so. That doesn't make them right. I know some of you are just so scared right now. Because your whole faith is built on, I know everything exactly. If God wanted you to have that kind of a faith, he wouldn't have given us a book like this, where Christians can read it in 45,000 different ways. You want to know what's simple? Jesus is Lord. He died for our sins. He rose from the dead. Everything else. I'm not saying it's not important. I'm not saying this makes you always wrong or them always right. What I am saying is that even when you're right, 
there are people who disagree with you and have good reasons for doing so. Now, guess what happens? The moment this kind of thinking clicks for you, you know what the automatic fruit is? First, you start listening. Oh, wait a minute. Smart people might have good reasons for disagreeing with me. Why do you think what you think? Sounds a lot like the fruit of the Spirit. Gentleness and listening are the fruits that flow from this perspective. That's why it's humility. So here's my final statement. God gave us something much better than a simple piece of paper with very simple rules. If he wanted to do that, he could have done that, but he gave us a complicated book filled with poetry and stories, some of them bizarre, and letters that are from a different context. Why? Because the point of reading the Bible is not to figure it all out. It's to join in the ongoing story of God's people who together with other Christians in every generation wrestled with what does it mean today to faithfully follow God. Why don't you bow your heads with me and close your eyes. Lord Jesus, every generation wrestles of Christians wrestles with this question afresh because every generation lives in different circumstances. How do we follow you faithfully in this generation in southeastern Manitoba in 2023 and beyond? How do we follow you faithfully? Lord, we're not always going to get it right, but what we are going to do is we're going to do our best and we're going to do it together. And that's actually the point. Thank you for giving us a relational book, not a rule book. It has some rules in it. But it's about relationship with you and with each other. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast today and being part of what God is doing here at Crossview. A special thanks to those that are giving generously to this ministry. It's because of you this ministry is possible. If you enjoyed the sermon, why don't you subscribe to the platform you're listening to right now and let us know that you're listening by sharing and tagging us on social media. If you want to learn more about this ministry in our church, you can visit us at crossviewchurch.ca.